You may be seated. Wonderful, wonderful praise and worship this morning. Uh, by now, each of you have embraced a philosophical understanding of where we exist in the order of the universe. Now, I didn't decide that for you. You came to your own conclusion already about where you exist in the hierarchy of the universe. And that's a, let's say, philosophical understanding, but you, you've embraced some worldview, some philosophy, and uh, you've rationalized, here's where I fit into the order of the universe. You may embrace a uh, humanist worldview, a viewpoint that as a human being, you are everything, that you are the highest life form in the universe, and it's all about you, and it all rises and falls on you, and uh, your decision is the only decision that matters because humans are the highest life form, and, and it's all about it's all about us, and, and that's one philosophy, and that's one viewpoint, one worldview that, that many, many people hold to, and, and it fashions how they live and how they make decisions and how they uh, understand the, the universe of which they're a part. Many people subscribe to Greek uh, philosophy still. It's, it's, it, it, it influenced the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire influenced us. It's why we have a Senate, and it's why we function in government much the way we do, because it affected European, all of European government, Rome did, and that affected America, how it was founded. But Platonic thought was that the spiritual is all that matters, and the physical doesn't matter. Physical's all bad, and it's irrelevant, and only the spiritual, only the spiritual matters. And a lot of that Greek philosophy from, from Plato has actually influenced the church and I'm going to say this as a footnote, in a bad way, in a bad way. So uh, we'll talk more about that maybe in, in some days to come. You may embrace the Christian worldview this morning that the, the material world is important. And there is also a spiritual world, and it is important. And the two worlds intersect. The two worlds overlay. I'm not sure which word to use right here. The two worlds are connected somehow, yet one is invisible to us who live on the material side. But it doesn't mean that we're not spiritual and that the spiritual is not real. And this is the way I see the Christian viewpoint anyway. It's my worldview that there is both the material world and a spiritual world, and they're both important. Listen, you're important. Your life is important. The work you're going to do tomorrow morning is important. And if you didn't believe your work was important, then how in the world would you do it for 30 years? If you didn't think it was meaningful, you would be a miserable person, wouldn't you? Uh, that's why they say find something that you love to do, and it won't feel like work, you know. Uh, it should be meaningful. It should help humanity. It should lift humanity. It should provide a service to humanity. It should do something for humankind. That's the ultimate type of work for us to be involved in work that is both in a material world but doing maybe even spiritual fruits from it as as for me which is all I can account for this morning as for me I believe that as a human I'm made relatively low on the hierarchy of the universe org chart which I'm going to share more with you next week I believe I'm created fairly low on the org chart and I'll explain more next week I'm not the lowest life form. I'm not, I'm not a worm. I mean, there's, there's worse. 
Uh, I'm not the lowest life form, but as I understand my place in the universe, I'm certainly not the highest life form either. And as I began to think about that and how you might respond to that as I articulated it, I'm, I'm thinking out loud now, surely none of us wants to think of ourselves as weak. None of us, that's not a pleasant thought. None of us wants to think of ourselves as unintelligent or lacking power. So, and you're not without power, and you're not unintelligent. I mean, you are intelligent, you're not unintelligent. But, but I'm just saying comparatively in the org chart of the universe, I'm discovering we are vulnerable, we are weak. We're not the most intelligent life form in this universe. We're not the most powerful life form in this universe. And as you will soon discover in this study, we're not even close to the highest. So when you think, well, I'm just one notch off. Well, we'll get to that maybe, maybe next week or so. For some, that realization that we're not the highest life form and the most powerful and intelligent life form, for some people, that's a frightening thought. Because we all know about ourselves, we want to be in control of our own lives. That's one thing that's definitely, we want to control our destiny, we want to control our world. And one of the most fearful things that we encounter is when our world spins out of our control. And I give you a good example, sickness comes. And you're just like, I'm powerless to control my gallbladder and things are spinning out of control. It's a helpless feeling when your body will not cooperate with you. Uh, It's a helpless feeling when you're in a relationship and you want to be and someone doesn't want to be. It now spins out of your control. And so I know we all want to control our lives and anything outside of control brings fear and it brings anxiety to us. So let me apply it to what I'm talking about. So thinking about the faults that there, uh, we imagine there's some higher life form in the universe and it's interacting with our world now. It's coming to invade our world. Higher powers, more powerful beings are coming to invade our world and, and, and bring us under their control. Sounds like science fiction movie, doesn't it? Sounds like tales of aliens and interplanetary warfare and other beings, civilization, whatever, coming down who are more powerful than us to impose things upon us, we feel powerless. And, and many Christians don't believe in talking about the supernatural in this way, but I want you to know Hollywood really believes in it. The book writers really believe in this. And I believe they actually got these, this understanding, the, the, the very idea of all of this, because of the demon world, because of the fallen angel world, and because of the supernatural world. It does exist, and because it does exist, it has influenced literature and art and entertainment and music and history. Since there were man and woman created in the beginning, the spirit world has been interacting with the material world, and it's why we have that understanding, and it's why we have those uh, innate fears of being dominated by higher powers and outside influencers. And uh, maybe as a result of our prejudices, some will dismiss higher life forms as just science fiction. Emphasis on the word fiction. Maybe because of our educations or our worldview, 
some atheistic worldview or materialistic worldview, platonic, whatever. You just dismiss something as not being real because of the prejudice we bring to the table. So in this series, over and over, I'm going to keep challenging you with this question. Do you believe that beings exist which are not of this earth? Because that's really the question at hand. For me to speak at length here about something to which you don't even think it's a possibility would be a waste of everyone's time. Do you believe that beings exist? And again, I use the word extraterrestrial, but I don't really know what words to use. You know, we find ourselves at a small vocabulary when we come to these topics. So just do you believe that beings exist which are not you? (laughs) Something different than you out here in the universe And so when I've had discussions with people about this, you know, maybe in a small group setting, they're like, oh, pastor, are you saying you believe in Martians? You believe in aliens from outer space? No, not in the sense that you're framing it, you know, in a science fiction space uh, Star Wars context. No, uh, 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 you know, not in that sense. I'm just saying, is this all what we're seeing this morning? Or is there something here we are not seeing? What do you believe deep in your heart about that? Well, here's what I understand is those who really believe the Bible and would follow the Bible would have to answer with an emphatic yes. We do believe there are life forms that are not human beings that are filling this universe. We believe there are beings that are not bound to this earth, they're not of this earth, And they fill the void around us, and there's not like six of them or ten of them or four of them, but there are millions, perhaps billions of them, and they exist in a spiritual dimension that is present right now, but is not material, so your material eyes can't see it, and your material hand can't touch it, but it's right here, and it doesn't mean it's not real, just because it's invisible to your eyes. These beings, I believe, move between heaven and earth. They move, whether that's a big space of distance between up and down, or whether that's through a portal, which is different dimensions between spiritual and material. Just be clear about what I'm saying. Whether heaven is light years out there and they move from up there to down here, or whether heaven is overlaid on the universe and it's just a different dimension to which you can't get into and bear witness to, like you would watch a science fiction movie and they would create a portal and step through it and suddenly be in another dimension. Either way, if you need something for your mind to grab a hold of to understand, There are different dimensions. Clearly, one is spiritual and one is material. And the beings we're discussing right now can move between the dimensions as you and I cannot. That's why we can't see it. And that's why we can't see the throne of God right now. Yet they can move between earth, what you can see, and the throne of God, back and forth and up and down and all around so that's the best way I know to explain it for, you, for us to have some kind of anchor for our, our thoughts this morning. Here's what we know from the scripture since the creation of mankind. These beings have interacted with us. 
whatever these beings are, and we'll talk at length about what they are, they've interacted with humanity, they've interacted with the material creation that God made and and set in motion. And when God is working in that creation, see, some of the gods of the Greeks and Romans were disconnected from what's happening on planet Earth. The gods were just doing their thing, and we were doing our thing, and those gods are quite often angry and disinterested. They are not loving and involved. Does that make sense? The God that the Bible describes is a very loving. Matter of fact, it's like one of this overarching attributes of God, his love for us, and he's highly involved with the creation he made. He's interacting in our affairs, and where God is interacting in the affairs of his creation, these angels are his messengers, his generals, his army, his uh, attendants, his messengers, his ministers interacting with the creation he made. Now, the Bible refers to these extraterrestrials as angels. So, if you just pressed me, Pastor do we believe in angels? Absolutely, we believe in the existence of angels. It's undeniable for a Bible believer. Now, maybe you've been saved short time. Maybe you've been a part of God's family just for a little while. Days, months, short years. Or maybe you've been walking with God for, in a relationship for decades. If you've been walking with God for decades... This will make more sense to you what I'm about to say. You may have noticed in your decades of walking with Christ and fellowshipping with his church that there's very little teaching about angels in the evangelical churches. In other words, you've been saved 40, 50 years, and in your whole walk with God, uh, we haven't heard more than two series, three series, on angels in our entire 40 or 50 year journey in the church. It just... It's not, uh, this is not a topic that gets discussed a lot. And, and I, I tried to reason out why I think that is, and, and I think, again, it's a bad reaction on our part. Now, let me see if I can explain. I think the evangelical churches of near history, recent history, have shied away from discussing angels and uh, talking about angels, mainly as an overreaction to the veneration of angels by the Catholic Church. So now, a lot of what drives the South, and I mean from Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, all the way across to here, what, what a lot of what drives how uh, religion, how Christianity looks in the South of the United States, a lot of what you see is driven as a reaction or an overreaction to what other uh, religious systems teach. How about that? So sometimes, you know, maybe somebody teaches something about the Holy Spirit that just totally freaks everybody out, and you can't explain it, and it's too mystical, and then it's two tongues and healing. So what the evangelical churches sometimes will do is they'll overreact and just won't talk about the Holy Spirit at all, which I think is a big disservice to God, okay? And so... That's why we just, on Wednesday night, finished one study on the Holy Spirit. you got other sermon series upcoming about that. Because just because someone might teach something incorrectly doesn't mean we need to shy away from talking about it. 
So uh, the Catholic Church, uh, uh, somewhere around the 4th century, this discussion of angels got hot and heavy, okay? So the early church understood the proper relationship between the children of God and angels. It seems fairly certain. There wasn't lots of dispute about it. But somewhere about the 4th century, in the, in the 300s, there begins to be these councils. Uh, and, and whether it's Laodicea and Trent and Nicaea and these councils, religious councils start popping up around the 3rd century and 4th century and 4th and, and century, uh, really. And they start discussing, should we worship angels or should we not worship angels? Should we venerate angels or not? venerate angels should we be seeking to know the names of the angels should we what should what what role should we have as god's people knowing there are angels what role should we have in engaging those angels as a part of our worship does that make sense if they are here this morning now you know i don't have any doubts about it if they are here though i'll give you the hypothetical if they are here then what should our relationship be in the worship service to them so these became some of the thoughts and some of the discussions that, that they begin to discuss in the 4th century. And, and they begin to make some decisions. Again, these decisions were, came to be quite polarizing. Uh, I quote from Ludwig Ott. He's not a Baptist. He's not an evangelical. He's not a Presbyterian. He's a Catholic theologian. Ott says this, The worship of angels by men is justified. The decision in the Council of Trent, which teaches us to invoke and worship saints, also may be applied to angels. So now, I'm not saying this represents all Catholics. Listen, they can be as varied as Baptists on many issues, okay? But certainly there was a school of thought among the Catholic Church, and probably still exists today, that the worship of angels is muy bueno. It's, It's okay. It's part of what we should be doing. And notice they say, the worship of saints, Listen, we would even reject that, amen? We don't believe in worshiping people. A saint, according to the New Testament, is anyone who's born again. Now, the church, Catholic church venerates saints if they can prove that they've done a couple of miracles. And you know what I'm saying? There's a process and they get canonized and all of this. And so you're talking about John the Baptist and Mary and Peter and Paul. So they, let me just rephrase this. It would be okay then to worship Mary, Peter, and Paul. And that would be something we would reject because we don't find scriptural basis for that. Matter of fact, we, we find the opposite of that. And I'll, I'll get more to that in just a moment. But then they carry that over. That may also be applied to the worship of angels. Uh, in fact, on the Catholic calendar, there's an event, March, uh, September 29th, called uh, Michaelmas. Not Christmas. Not Christmas, but Michaelmas, uh, September 29th on the Catholic liturgical calendar, which is a celebration, uh, a, a, like you would have Christmas celebration, a celebration in honor of Michael the Archangel. Uh, there are numerous churches, and I, I spent a good deal of time researching this and looking, and I could have given you scores of pictures, but it just bore you. Uh, there are scores and scores of churches that were built to venerate Michael uh, the Archangel. One's built in Constant, by Constantine just outside of Istanbul. There's another one built in Rome. One's in Azerbaijan. Listen, a fantastic one's right here in the United States in Chicago. 
Uh, I believe it was built by Polish immigrants to, to venerate Michael, uh, the archangel. Their churches are in Russia. They're all over the world. Uh, a few mouse clicks this afternoon, and you'll be looking at the pictures of all of those, of all of those churches. They're all over the world. Churches built to venerate and, and worship uh, the angels. And prior to the 4th century... Angel worship was considered a heresy. It was not something that the church engaged in, and to do so was considered a, a, a taboo, and it was not something that was allowed and not something that, that was promoted. In our theological circles, I would say carry that over and say it is still considered a heresy because the Bible forbids the worship of angels. Now let me just give you a couple of references. If you're, if you're taking notes this morning, Colossians 2 verse 18 Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, let no one disqualify you. And then he's going to list some things uh, that uh, are disqualifiers, that are bad things. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Well, asceticism is a severe form of self-discipline. So when someone tells you that all you lack in your in your uh, to, to be closer to God is this, you need to self-flagellate, you need to observe strict diet, dietary laws, you need to observe this, you need super, super strict uh, uh, type of lifestyle. Paul says no. Now Paul does say later, keep your body under control and under subjection, but if you think you're more spiritual because of asceticism, he's like, nope, that's not, not the answer here. Notice what else he says, and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, worship of angels got in a bad list right there. That's all I'm saying. And uh, we, we go a little bit further. In Revelation chapter 22, for those of you who are attending on Wednesday and you've been in some of the Revelation study that Miss Leah has been doing, you'll know that John on the Isle of Patmos is writing the book of Revelation. He's a... Uh, uh, I was in the Spirit of the Lord's day, and I was caught up into heaven, and he's, he's having visions, and he's writing down what he's seeing, things that are, uh, 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 were, and are, and are to come. There's a past, present, and future to this, and he's documenting this, and he's chronicling this, and he's interacting with angels in another dimension. There are conversations being had with angels in another dimension. I'm reading Revelation 22, verse 8. I, John... Am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. The angel is revealing, showing these things to John, and John's just so overwhelmed. He falls down at the feet of the angel to worship the angel. Verse 9. But the angel said to me, but he said to me, you must not do that. You see that exclamation point? You must not do that. Well, we could do a lot of things right now, but not that one. <laughs> Sir, get up. Get, no, 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 no. You must not do that. Why? Let's read on. For I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those that keep the words of this book, period, new statement, emphasis, worship, worship. And there's your answer. You say, what are we allowed to worship? There's your answer. God. Not, not my dear departed uncle, not St. Peter, not the angels, uh, not Mary. The scripture forbids worship goes to anyone but 
the one to whom it belongs, worship God, the angel said. Now, uh, there are supernatural, powerful beings called angels, but they're not to be worshipped as God because worship belongs only to God. And it's clear from the early centuries uh, of Christianity that many errors and many false teachings invaded the church. It's a normal thing, and it has to be just kind of purged and reformed continually. That's really been our teaching to you in recent years, is the church has to constantly go through reformation and, and, and challenge beliefs and go back to the Scripture, and let's make sure we're following the Word of God and, and what is proper. Now, nearly uh, every system of religion acknowledges some sort of spiritual beings like angels. They may not call them angels, but there are supernatural beings involved in nearly every form of, of, of religious expression. Uh, I have ministered a lot in, in Asia and in the Orient. Uh, I've encountered all kinds of belief in, the superna- in supernatural beings, but not what you would express as angels. Does that make sense? But they believe in something that exists out there. They might not call it an angel, but they, they believe there are things we can't see that are spiritual beings working around them. For example, when, when, I, when I travel to Asia and I see the pagoda roofs, you guys have a picture perfect. You guys have seen pictures like this with the upswept eaves out on the points. And it's a, it, whenever you see this expression of architecture, you immediately know that this isn't San Antonio. That's not the Alamo. And, uh, and you know that's the Orient, that's Asia when you see this. And the swept up uh, eave corners, it's actually a part of uh, their religious superstition. Because uh, they believe that spirit beings are all around us. And we only want good, good uh, spirits in this building, not evil spirits. And, and uh, the, the evil spirits can only move in, in straight lines. It's their teaching, not mine. And so you upsweep the, the pointed tip of the roof and it keeps the demons out. It keeps the, uh, the, 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 the bad spirits out because they're not able to move into that building because of the way the, the architecture is done. Now, I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm just saying to you, somebody else believes that there's spirit beings around too that aren't Christians. That's all I'm saying to you. And that expression is all over the world as you begin to understand the other cultures. Paganism is filled with the worship of spirits and demigods and demons. Uh, just on the last trip that we made to, to Nepal uh, to, to go and minister to our friends, Jeremy and I connected through Bangkok. Bangkok's a fantastic airport. It's humongous, by the way, if you've never traveled through there. Fantastic airport. But as we landed, I say, hey, Jeremy, let's just stop and take a picture of the demon real quick. And Jeremy had never been to the Bangkok airport. It's taller than this room. It's like 30 feet higher. It's humongous. This, this is not the only one. There's one in both, both departure halls side by side here. Let me look at this thing. Just let that soak in for a minute. You say, what am I looking at with big old fangs and, 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 and pointed garments and big old swords and, and green skin? And sometimes they have blue Easter egg blue skin. You say, what am I looking at? Well, there's little plaques down there, and you can walk up and read it, and it'll say, the demigod or the demon, or the whatever, and they'll call his name, and there he is, guarding the airport. Now, when I tell you you land in Asia, you're, you're, not, you're not in Georgia. 
I'll tell you that. You're not in the Bible belt. Now, they may not, if you said you believe in angels, they may say, no, but they believe in something. That's a supernatural being that's standing watch over their authority and over their dominion. When you enter into the airport, you got another picture of this? Okay, here, it's beautiful. Now, the picture is a little dark, but on one side are demigods, and on the other side, these are demons, and then there's a god standing on the back of a turtle, and they're pulling the giant serpent back and forth, and as they do, they swirl the waves of the ocean, and this is how the ocean has waves, because the gods and the demigods are pulling against each other in struggle for planet Earth. Now, I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm just telling you. Christians aren't the only one that believe in supernatural beings around us. And there they are. They're all over the other cultures of the world. Uh, if you go into, do you have a Hindu temple in there anywhere? Oh, yeah, wow, here we go. This is just the facade, the outside shot at what the front of a Hindu temple would look like if you were to travel to, to India. This is what you would see, and they're quite often this blue color. But I just want you to see, do you see every, I mean, just in one little piece here, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten. There's like 15 gods with a little g, demon gods, just right here in one little piece. And the whole building's just covered in demonic gods. And you say, what is this? Well, there's 300 million deities. I'm going to say it in a Baptist way. Demon forces being worshipped as gods in Hinduism. And you want to wonder why when you go into a culture like this to witness, people are demon-possessed. They've given themselves to the demons to worship the demons that empower the idolatry and keep the people enslaved. Now, I'm saying Baptists aren't the only one, or Bible believers, or Bible church, or community church, and we're not the only one who believe in the existence of supernatural beings. Almost every religion on planet Earth believes in the supernatural beings. By the late 1600s, we entered into the Age of Enlightenment. Let me fast forward history. And men like Descartes and Spinoza and Leibniz began to usher in the age of reason, the age of enlightenment. And uh, when that age of reason and enlightenment began to overtake Europe, unseen supernatural beings did not fit into the system of enlightenment. In other words, the human mind is what it's all about and expanding our understanding and education and critical thought. And it didn't allow for spiritual beings to affect your reasoning. It was only about your mind. It wasn't about the spiritual impact upon a human mind. We roll into the 1700s. Society takes a turn towards science, towards the human mind. Uh, and, And what your human mind can conceive is the only ultimate reality that exists. There was no place really in uh, the evolving culture and the evolving uh, uh, science and education system. There was no place for discussing unseen powers like demons and angels that were influencing and interacting with enlightened Europe. They didn't want to think about that. It was only about education and what you could see. And so they had to have a reason and a discussion to explain about what we could see. And if you said, well, yeah, but you can't explain everything because of the supernatural. They didn't want to hear that. There was no room for a discussion of the supernatural influencing our reasoning. 
Now let me just fast forward for sake of time. We're living now in the age of existentialism. So now the prevailing school of thought or the prevailing teaching of our generation is that since you are an individual, your experience as an individual supersedes all previous understanding about anything. So therefore, don't worry about what people have always said about God, about hell, about death, about repentance, about sin, about anything. The only thing that matters is what you personally experience as an individual. There is your truth and you'll hear people say this, well, my truth is, well, that's kind of an existential saying, what I've experienced trumps everything else. And that's where we are right now in the age of existentialism. I would challenge you this morning, living in that age, to have a firm belief and reliance upon what God said to temper what you're going to believe about life, about eternity, about God. I would challenge you with statements like this. How many times does God have to say something for it to be true? It's a great Christian question right there. I mean, does God need to say it when we go to Scripture and say, okay, we can see it here. Okay, we see it again here. Okay, we see it again over here. Paul said it. Peter said it. Okay, Matthew said it. Okay, one of the prophets confirms it. Okay, now it must be solid. How many times does God have to say something before we will embrace it as the gospel, as truth? Uh, once should suffice, but some of us are, you know, skeptical. Let me challenge you. God has referred to angels in the Bible at least 273 times that I could find. You, you understand what I'm saying? If God says something 273 times, can we warm up to the idea that this is not a myth, that, that God has spoken, and there are beings around you right now, and they are real, and no, you can't see them, but don't be an existentialist and say, because I can't experience them, therefore they're not real. They are real. And they may even interact with you, and you not know they're interacting with you. Now, let's uh, get down to, to just some, some basic vocabulary here. The word angel comes to us in the Bible from the Hebrew word malach. So if you see angel in the Old Testament, this is the Hebrew word that the translators saw. And they said, okay, that, that word means in the Hebrew to dispatch as a deputy, a messenger, okay? Someone sent with a message or as a representative, as a deputy to execute the, the, the will of the, the one who sent them. And they translated that word as angel in your Old Testament. In the New Testament, uh, the translators saw that Paul and the Bible writers, uh, the gospel writers, had used the word angelos in their writings, so in the Greek, the word angelos, which looks just like our word, English word almost, and they just brought it over into English as angel. Angelos in the Greek means a messenger. Nineteen times in your Bible, angels are translated or called the host of heaven. It's a language I want you to warm up. Host of heaven. Once they are called the heavenly host Two times they are called the morning stars. The prophet Daniel called them watchers. The apostle Paul categorized them as thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. If you don't believe in angels, then you'll have to reject the New Testament in its totality. If there are no angels, who then announces the birth of Christ and tells the shepherds where to go? 
We are still sitting in darkness on the hillsides of Bethlehem waiting for the Messiah to come, right? Because no one's told us what's happened or where to go or we were not clued in to what God's doing. Now again, let me hint at what God was doing. He involved angels with it and the angels are interacting with human beings. Do you see that? What God is doing, they're a part of, and that spiritual world and that physical world are overlaying. They're interacting between each other. Listen, if there are no angels, then who protects and ministers to Jesus in his temptation? Forty days being without food. And in the temptation, quotes scripture to Satan, and then Satan departed from him, and the scripture says, and angels came and ministered unto Jesus. Listen, who would come to the garden tomb? Who will roll back the stone so that you and I can see inside the tomb to bear witness for ourselves? Listen, there are more 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. There are many, many witnesses who actually went to the tomb and looked in. Peter, John, Mary Magdalene, and other women. I believe at one point all of them went down there to see it with their own eyes who were locally uh, place to be able to do so. Listen, who will roll back the stone and let us see in? Now, I want to be very clear as we approach Easter. They didn't let Jesus out. They let you in so you could bear witness to the fact that he wasn't there. And the angel didn't say, hold on while I straighten up the room and fiddle with the evidence. The angel sat over on the stone and said to the approachers, come and see the place where the Lord lay. We welcome you. We welcome you. We're going to have a wonderful interactive Easter uh, experience this year. And I'll tell you more about that in the days to come. Listen, we welcome people to bear witness to the truth that he is not here. We're not saying stay out while we tidy up and hide the evidence. We're saying to you, well, but who would have said that if the angels had not rolled back the stone? We'd all be sitting here right now. Dang it, I wish somebody would roll back that stone. I'd like to see what's in there. Is he there? Is he not there? What's in there? Well, now we know exactly what's in there. Listen, I'm just talking about how angels have interacted with us. Listen, who would free Peter from prison so that he could carry out the rest of his ministry if there were no angels? Listen, if you want to remove angels from your belief system... And say, well, I'm just not sure. I just want, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. So I'm going to remove that type of spiritual thing. That, that Those beings that are all around me creeps me out. I don't want that to be a part of my reality. Listen, if you remove angel references from the book of Revelation, you'll just have shredded pages in your hands. It'll look like you put Revelation through a shredder if you cut out all the angel references. Because the entire book of Revelation is, com- it's just like the, the material world and the spiritual world interacting every few verses. You'd have to shred the entire book of Revelation. But let me appeal to your sense of your high thoughts on who Jesus is as the Son of God. If Jesus says it, that pretty much will settle it for you and I. That's our high thought of who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus said in red letters with his own mouth, okay? In just one little section of Matthew, listen to Jesus. Matthew 18:10. See that you do not despise these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. A few chapters later in 22, Jesus answered and said, You're wrong. Because you know not neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. But are like the angels in heaven. Matthew 24. And he will send his angels out with a loud trumpet. And they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 
The words of Jesus, Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels come with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Matthew 26, do you not think that I could appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Now, I'm going to kind of line up with Billy Graham right here. I've never seen an angel, but I believe in the existence of angels simply because Jesus said they exist. I also believe, because I have encountered them, not seen a vision, not seen one, I've encountered them. And I've been more aware of my encounters with fallen angels than I have with the holy angels. I'm going to be very clear with what I'm saying right now. Uh, You say, well, why haven't you been more aware of your encounters with the holy angels? Because I'm dense. And I'm not always as spiritually attuned as I should be about what God's doing in my life. Sometimes I'm thick-headed and insensitive to the Spirit of God working in my life. I'm just being transparent. I'm busy doing my life and sometimes God's working and I miss it because I'm not paying attention. You know, it's really beginning to affect the way I pray now too and y'all will hear me clean up some of my language language matters and so often I would pray God come and come to this worship service and God come and speak to our hearts and that's not wrong to pray but does anybody here have a doubt that God shows up where two or three are gathered in his name does anybody doubt this morning that God's going to speak through his word to, to you okay then here's my stupidity I need to begin to pray God, please help me to open my ears so that when you're speaking to us this morning, we'll be listening to what... Do you understand the difference? God, please help us to open our spiritual eyes, to be aware of what you're doing in our lives in this service this morning, and to receive the message with grace and apply it to our own lives. I'm trying to pray that God would do right. Instead, I need to quit praying that and start praying that I do right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anyway, it's affecting how, even, even how I, I pray a bit. But I become... I have been painfully aware of having an experience of being spiritually oppressed, how about that, attacked uh, by fallen angels, if you would, by demonic powers. I've been painfully aware when I have been spiritually opposed, Um, and I guess I'm repenting to you that I'm not as aware of being surrounded by God's righteous forces, but it's painfully aware when I'm being opposed by demonic or fallen angels, and if anything, I've taken for granted the fact that I'm protected. If anything, I have forgot to thank God continually for his presence and protection and ministry in my life through those guardians and ministers that he's placed to be with me continually. And as you live out 2020, you should have no doubts about the existence of angels and their ministry towards you. Let let me move very quickly in the moments I have left. Once there were no angels. Once there were no angels. Timothy said only God has immortality. Once there were no angels, which means at some point the angels came into existence, which means they had a beginning. Which means at some point the angels were created. So let's discuss quickly the origin of angels. Paul said again in Colossians, For by him, Jesus, 
were all things created in heaven and earth. And he's talking about supernatural hierarchies now. Thrones, dominions, powers, etc. Some things were created in heaven. Some things were created on earth. Some things were created are visible. Some things that are created are invisible. Now, uh, Nehemiah says this, Nehemiah 9.6, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, you made the heaven of heavens with all their host and the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. Now, let's talk about the word host very quickly. It's the Hebrew word sabal. In the English, we translated that as host. And that may be a little bit of an archaic word to you because it's not a word we used right now. If I say to you, host, you think, we're having a party. Who's hosting? What are we going to be eating? What's going to be happening? Host in this is, a, again, older English. English has nuance. What the word actually means is it means a mass of people, a multitude of people, organized especially for war. Host is the word, in modern English, you would use the word army. By implication, a campaign, a company, a host, a service, soldiers waiting upon warfare. So when you're reading your Bible and you see them saying, Lord of hosts, what you're reading is God of the army. What army, pray tell, are they talking about? That host of heaven that worships God that Nehemiah talked about. There is a supernatural organization around you, a supernatural army, a heavenly host, a heavenly army. Now, it's clear that the angels were created, means they haven't eternally existed. They had a beginning, as Timothy, I quoted a minute ago, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse 13, he will display at the proper time who is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. So the eternal thing is God, and God created, and one of the things he created were angels. God has always been. We have not always been. The earth has not always been. The universe has not always been, and the angels have not always been. At some point, all of this was created. I'm reading Psalms 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded. And what happened? And they were created. You say what? Everything he just listed. Angels, heavenly hosts, the earth, the waters, everything that's in it, God created, he commanded, and it all came to pass. Now, here's the question to which I don't know the answer. We don't know exactly what time they were created. And if you read 50 theologians, you'll get 50 answers, okay? No one knows for sure. And you don't have to know for sure to know that they exist, is what I'm saying. You just know at some point they were created. We do know by Genesis chapter number 3, Lucifer has fallen to become Satan. And the angels have fallen with him. So we know by Genesis 3, it's already, the fall has already happened. So they have to pre-exist Genesis chapter number three for sure we don't know if they show up at the creative week or prior to the creation 
of the earth, I tend to believe, because I'm reading passages like Job chapter 38, I tend to believe that the angels were created prior to this earth. In other words, God got the the, the ministers ready that would interact with planet earth, and then he stepped out and made the universe as you know it, and then they begin to interact together. Let me read Job for you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it, or on what were the bases sunk, and who laid its cornerstone. Talking about earth. When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Now what Job indicates in Job 38, if I'm understanding it correctly, is that these singing sons of God, these singing, worshiping morning stars are angels singing as they witness the divine creating planet earth. As they were already created, God says, boys, step back and watch this. And as they watched God begin to create this marvelous universe, that the sons of God, if that is in fact the angel multitude of heavenly hosts, sat back and just praised God at the genius and the power of his creation. Uh, We believe there is no procreation among the angels. Now my time's waning. Let me go really quick. Stay engaged with me. There are no mother angels, father angels, and baby angels. Does that make sense? We don't know of anything in Scripture where it says, you know, and the archangel Michael gathered his wife and kids, and they went on... We don't know anything about that. It's missing from Scripture, so therefore we have an understanding that there are... There's no procreation among the angels, that the angels were created directly by God... And we don't know of capacity for reproduction. Now, you and I can talk about Genesis 5, 6 another time. But this is our understanding. Matthew, Jesus answered, you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, we neither marry nor are given in marriage. But we are like the angels in heaven. Now, that's our understanding right now. No procreation. I'm not saying you'll never procreate again in eternity. I'm not saying that either. But I'm saying in this context, he said, whose wife will this be? This guy was divorced 19 times. When they get to heaven, how are we going to reconstitute the families? God said, you're just ignorant of what that's going to look like. In that moment, there's not going to, procreation is not on the agenda. You're you're like the angels uh, of heaven. So what we believe, to the best of our understanding, is that at the command of God, billions of spiritual creatures were created. They came into existence. Each one is independently and uniquely created, which means to us this morning that there's no increase in the number of angels since the day of creation. Does that make sense? They are, and they still are. And if you say, well, my sister-in-law went to a seance, and she spoke with our dead uncle. Yeah, those fallen angels have been here for a long, long time. And they were here when your dead uncle walked the earth, and they know how to mimic his voice, and they know how to fool you. You say, why? They watched it all happen. They've been present. You say, well, they know things that only people who were there, there would know. Sure, they were there. And so when that medium gets in touch with the spirit world and channels up a spirit who knew Uncle Fred and knew that he, you know, chewed red man and he beat his wife and can, can all talk about that, you're saying, well, how would they know? Because the spirit being has been sitting here watching Uncle Fred all his life. Maybe possessing him. Who knows? You see, you see what I'm saying? The spirit world is here. 
and it's been here, and it hadn't gone away. So we don't think there's more angels. We don't have any record of God has created another batch since the ones fell that fell. This is our understanding at this moment. They don't die because they're not material. They're supernatural. So there's been no decrease in the number either. Most of us know what we know about angels from the artistic community, once again. Uh, and the artistic community does us many services and lifts humanity and sometimes does us disservices. But we know what we know about the angels from the artistic community. And I, I don't ever want you to think I'm kicking artists. Listen, rather than criticize artists, I wish God would raise up people who could paint it as the Bible said it was. I'm actually trying to inspire a generation of people who say, yeah, here's the way I see it in Scripture and create it that way. For all my whatever criticisms I might have for the Mormon church, I've been to Salt Lake City and gone through the temple. And I've seen that their artists have composed new paintings about how they've interpreted the scenes of the Bible. And some of them are fantastic, fantastic reproductions that may be more accurate than what some of the European artists painted, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Let me just show you a few pics real quick. quick. What do you guys got up there? Pictures of angels. Oh, here we go. Oh, what happened over here? Okay, this is a... It's an abstract. You just interpret that however you want to interpret that. I guess we lost a projection. This is Raphael, uh, uh, who you know from Europe. Uh, it's one of, it's, this is one of the most famous paintings in the world right here. And you know what this is labeled. These are cherubs. These are cherubs, two cherubs. Of course, if you could see their bottoms, they're naked. And uh, they've got wings and two kids looking, you know, just you get it. That's the way art uh, has informed us. This is not painted by a theologian. This is painted by, by an artist. And it's like getting your understanding of the Magi by what you see from Christmas cards. In most of the paintings, go ahead and forward here. Uh, yeah, just babies everywhere. It's creepy. They're in the clouds. They're in the clouds. They're everywhere. And they're not babies per se. They're babies, but they're cherubs. They're, they're, they, they're depicting being surrounded by angels. Okay. Uh, have you noticed in, in like religious depictions you get this clone angel look to where all the angels look exactly the same. And many times the artists will depict this for us and they'll paint the scene and then they'll pull back the curtain, go back one picture. They'll paint the person they want you to focus on, but then they'll pull back the clouds, the spiritual dimension, and show you all the angels attending. I was just looking at one of the famous European paintings, the martyrdom of Matthew, and I can see the, the cloud and the angel reaching down from the spiritual to receive Matt, to take his hand, you know, and pull him up to heaven as they kill him. That's typical in art. But one of the things you'll notice, now go forward again, is that many times when they create more than one angel in the art reproduction, the angels all look alike. They're just like clone, like sausages, you know, Oreos. They're just all, they all look identical. Now, I just want to say something, and it's just a thought. Um... Knowing the creative genius of God. I'm going to close with this. Knowing the creative genius of God. I believe that the angels like snowflakes and like fingerprints and like your DNA are all individualistic. They're all individuals. Just like us. Yeah, we've got a few twins. Maybe there's a few twin angels. I don't know. Maybe God was goofing around one day and said, let's make triplets. Oh, look at you guys. You know, I don't know. I don't know. And as I said, I'd, I'd welcome all three triplets to care for me. I'm so problematic. 
but I know that you are an individual. But even when God creates us, those three triplets will have individual personalities, correct? Different tastes, different likes, different, different personalities. And, and so I think this is a misnomer. And this kind of art influences us incorrectly. So that we think, oh, here's all these generic angels like sparrows flying overhead. And they all look alike. No, I think you misunderstand the creative genius of God. Here's what I want you to focus on as you leave this morning. Creation expresses the character of the creator. You learn about the painters of Europe by looking at their paintings. Those paintings express their understanding. Looking at creation, you, 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 you learn something about our creator. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You want to know something about God? Watch the sunset tonight. You want to know something about God? Observe the world in which you live. Let me show you a picture. Now, when you see that, handsome fella, I want to ask you, what does that tell you about the creator? Anyone? I look at that picture and I say, okay, here's what I know about God. God loves color. Is that fair? All right, let's, let's see if this holds true. Let's see if this holds true. Let's see if this holds true. Whether you're above the sea looking at the heavens or looking at, at a lizard, you, you understand creation expresses the intelligence of God. You say, what's God like? He has a sense of humor. Go, go up to the Cabela's exhibit and walk through and look at that. Some, some animals look like you sawed one in half and glued it to another one. Uh, seriously, you know, uh, all I want to say about creation is this. The angels are created. Don't expect them to be sausages and, and cookie cutters. These are individuals with names, with personalities, with a mission with specific duties. Don't think of this mass of angels as all around us just swirling like swallows in the winter. These are spiritual beings that are powerful, intelligent, and uniquely made with names and ranks and assignments. Listen, when you look at a, 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 a platoon of soldiers, they may all be dressed alike, but under that cover, there's an individual that's a very unique man or woman. And they have different duties and different assignments and, and, and different actions that they carry out. What I want to say to you as we close this morning is simply this. They've been around a long time. They've seen a lot of things and from the creation to the ancient to the very modern. They've witnessed every act of humanity. And now when you think about yourself, think about yourself as someone who's made in the likeness of God. You are uniquely you. You have a unique purpose. You have a unique mission. You have a unique place you need to assume in the kingdom of God and in the plan of God. But like the angels, you also have the power of choice. I know the angels were created with free will because some chose to rebel. Like the angels, you've been created with a free will. Isn't it wild how when God creates these beings... Both us and these beings, he made them to be able to choose. 
to decide for themselves. God's uniquely made you with the power to choose, and you're uniquely you this morning, and I'm going to ask you to exercise your faith and believe that. That God has a mission for me, I have a name, I have a personality, I have a mission, and I need to assume my place, not just in the universe, but in the kingdom of God, and find the mission God has for me, and get on that mission, and listen, being a part of God's mission only begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This morning, you have a sense in your heart, an innate sense of destiny that you were created for more than mediocre pursuits that you were created to be a part of something big something that matters something that's historical something that's supernatural i'm not saying the supernatural is all there is i'm not saying the material is all there is i'm saying they are both realities and they touch each other they overlap each other they interact with each other do not be ignorant to that, but don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. They're ministering spirits sent to care for you. And if there's any one thing you should be sure of, they exist. And that God is protecting you this morning. Here's what I'm going to ask you to engage in prayer in. I want you just to pray this morning. God, open my understanding that I might be able to comprehend that there is a spiritual world also around me. Lord, let me be sensitive to the fact that you are protecting me and caring for me. Lord, help my understanding also to engage that I have an enemy that wants to shoot at me and hurt me. But with the spiritual armor and the protection of God, I'm going to be just fine. God, I just commit myself to you. I yield myself to your power. I yield myself to your care this morning. Lord, as I see the creation this week, I'm going to rejoice at the handiwork. As I look in the mirror, I'm going to remember that I am fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made. And you have a plan and a mission for my life. Even when I see me, I want to see the hand of my creator upon my life. If you're here without Christ this morning, meaning you, you believe He is, but maybe you've never put your faith in Him. You've never said to the Son of God, I put my trust and my belief fully in you as my Lord and Savior. I receive you into my life as my Savior. If you've never executed that faith, exercised your belief in the Son of God personally, then I want you to pray with someone this morning. Don't feel like you have to struggle through what that looks like or what that sounds like on your own. We have many wonderful people here who would put an arm around you and talk this out with you and pray with you this morning. They'll be at the back of the church as we dismiss. You just engage one of them and say, would you pray with me? And just tell them a sentence about what you're feeling. They know exactly, exactly how to help you this morning. We're going to close in a worship song right now after I pray. Father. I'm praying for everyone in the sound of my voice this morning, Lord, that's mentally, spiritually trying to open our mind and understanding to what's around us. And 
Lord, you know how difficult this is for us because we can't see it, can't hear it, can't touch it. Lord, help us to at least settle in our hearts that it exists because you said it exists. And Lord, then in the days to come, open our understanding that we'd be more aware of what you're doing in our lives, more sensitive to how you're leading and how you're guiding us. Father, we want to leave here this morning rejoicing because the one thing we know for sure through this study is that your divine protection has been given to us. You have sealed us with your Holy Spirit inside and you have protected us all around with a heavenly host. And God, we worship you because you love us that much that you would organize such a fantastic army to interact with us and be around us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the genius of your creation. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing a song of praise as we go to our homes this morning.